0: There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're here to study the book of Matthew. We just prayed, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, so open your Bibles to that chapter of the Bible. Um, what we ended up with is um, the de- disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the last chapter. This this is taking place in the ministry of Christ when the uh, situation is very bad in Israel. Most of the leaders have rejected Jesus as Messiah and Lord. They've said he's demon-possessed. They don't believe in him. They are antagonists or enemies to him. Jesus has sent his disciples out into a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, purposely knowing there'd be a storm, and he comes to them walking on the water. You know the story, of course. Um, Peter you got to hand it to Peter. I wouldn't have done this. He says, if it's you, let me walk out on the water to you. And Jesus says, come on. And he does until he takes his eyes off Jesus and, and concentrates, focuses too much on the storm and the wind and the clouds and the lightning and the thunder and the wind and everything waves. And he sinks and says, Lord, save me quick little eloquent prayer. And it's enough. And Jesus grabs him and pulls him up at in that Uh, incidents. By the way, he comes onto the boat, and not only does the storm cease, but they're suddenly at their destination on the other side. Several miracles in one. The reason I bring up that story is because in it, Jesus says uh, to them, and this isn't the first time he has said it in Matthew, "'O ye of little faith.'" So we also know that it doesn't take a lot of faith to move a mountain size of a mustard seed. Remember that? Um, So let's see. Yeah, that's verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and he says to Peter, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? The reason I'm bringing that up is we're going to meet a woman in a little while in chapter 15, which Jesus says has great faith. In fact, the word in Greek is mega faith, major faith. That means we need to really study that faith. But before we get there, we got to dive into chapter 15. So um, let's see. He's still in conflict with his enemies. At the beginning of the chapter, they love to nitpick and find things to uh, complain about his ministry, the the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Jewish leaders. And then we're going to see him teach the disciples. And then we'll meet that woman I mentioned earlier, who is a Gentile. Anyway, let's dive into chapter 15, verse 1. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, say amen or wave both hands if you want. That's good. And put up your amen sign. I love that. Okay, let's read a little bit and then we'll discuss chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes or teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Okay, so before we get to Jesus' answer, let's take a look at this. He is not close to Jerusalem. I mention that because this is an official group of Pharisees and scribes. The scribes were the teachers of the law who also fastidiously copied the scroll of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Genesis one word at a time. They were very good at it. They knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. But they come to him with an official group to check out Jesus, and they have a complaint Which is in verse two. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, before you say ew, like they're a bunch of slobs, this has nothing to do with hygiene. And they probably did wash their hands with water before they eat, before they ate. Second thing you should know is that there are ceremonial washings in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament that are for the priests, the Pharisees, not for the common people. Well, what is there in the Old Testament about ceremonial washings before you eat? Answer, nothing. Well, then what's going on here? You notice the way they word the question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So we're going to have a little discussion about tradition Traditions are handed down, nothing wrong with traditions in and of themselves, but but traditions sometimes are different from what the Bible says. So what do you do when you have a tradition over here and what the Bible says over here? And the answer is easy, isn't it? The Bible wins out every time and takes precedence. You would think these scholars of the Old Testament Bible would know that, but they don't. What's going on here is there was uh, oral traditions passed down from generation to generation, and at this time, they weren't in written form yet. They were just orally passed down. You'd hear them, pass them down to your kids, or the scribes would tell their students all these traditions. They had gotten so into their own traditions, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the scribes, that they began to let the traditions take a higher position than the Bible. The Bible says A, the tradition says B, we go with B. They were uh, turning the the Bible upside down or putting it on a shelf, you might say. So um, this is man-made traditions. This is not to say if you pass down a tradition that you're supposed to pray to the Lord Jesus, Well, that's, I can back that up with scripture. You are, right? Pray to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Spirit. That's scriptural. That's not a man-made tradition. They made up all kinds of stuff. They called it the halakha, and rabbis wrote it sort of like their interpretation of the Old Testament, but they couldn't resist adding extra little requirements. So, they had, um, and there was, there's so many of these, I picked one, okay? The ceremonial washings we're talking about is, if Jeff wants to eat, he has to have another man pour water out of a jar onto his hands, but his fingers have to be pointing up a certain way, okay? As long as the water dripped off at the wrist, then he could proceed not to eat, to the next step. Ready? He's hungry, right? And Go ahead. Okay, next step. Then water was poured over both hands with the fingers pointing down this time, and the water would drip off. Then thirdly, with each hand, he would take the fist of the right hand and rub it into the left hand and vice versa. All ceremonial, none of that is in Scripture anywhere except in the book of illusions chapter five, but there's no such thing. So uh, they have all these man-made rules that they just love and they love to have one-upmanship that they know the latest ones. Around the year 135 to 200 AD, they took the time to write these all down, which became the Mishnah. Ask a Jew about the Mishnah. It's separate from the Bible. It's all the writings of the rabbis with all the traditions and all the little laws that they made up that aren't in scripture is it hygienic to raise your, to um, wash before you eat? Of course. But they would be such sticklers, they wouldn't like the way Jeff washed, and they said, well, you can't eat that. Go ahead, Tom, you have a question. 613. 613 man-made laws. There's actually more than that from what I've heard, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so when Jesus says that the Pharisees put burdens on people that they can't handle... And he says, come to me. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. This is part of what he's talking about. There were so many little rules and regulations that were man-made. So um, they're nitpicking is what they're doing. Okay. And are what they're actually accusing them of is sin. But the Bible defines for us sin. They're just so full of them, their own traditions, they think if you break one of their traditions, you are sinning. So they ask the questions, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Notice they can't quote you chapter and verse Deuteronomy 11 or whatever, because there isn't anything. Jesus replies with a little counterattack, okay? Doesn't answer the question right away. They say, why do your disciples do this? He's going to say, oh yeah? Why do you people do this, and which one is worse? That's what he's getting at. Watch, verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God? You see the difference? Traditions of men, command of God. Bible, command of God. Got it? Why do you break the command of God? For the sake of your tradition. Now he's putting tradition over here, and command of God, scripture over here. Um, There are traditions, like I said, that are biblical. These are not. That's what he's trying to say. Verse four, four, and he's going to give them an example. It's going to take some explanation. For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother or is disrespectful, disrespectful is really what the word means, is to be put to death. But you say, verse 5, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they had a word for it, korban, C-O-R-B-A-N. We'll come back to that. If any of it is korban or uh, dedicated to God, verse 6, They're not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, here's what's going on. The Jews loved their money. And as they got into middle age and their parents were elderly, some of their parents needed to be cared for physically, medically, maybe even financially to support mom and dad with food and shelter and what have you. The Jews, and they made this up out of whole cloth. It's not in the Bible. They made up this thing called korban, where you would come to me and say, Joe, you know, your parents are destitute. They're very poor. They are almost don't have enough to eat. Shouldn't you be taking care of them? And I, as a Jew, trying to get out of it, would say, oh, my money is all korban, all my assets, meaning it's all already dedicated and set aside that I'm going to be giving it to God. So I don't want to break the commandment to give to God. So I'm off the hook for mom and dad, maybe call my brother in Texas, and maybe he can help them. But my money is all Corbett. It's all dedicated to God, which was totally not true. And the person still had control of the money and could invest it and buy things and they didn't have Rolexes then, but if they did, maybe they'd buy one of those. So, I want you to notice that he's, he's quoting, God said, did you see that in verse 4? Honor your father and mother. Well, isn't that the te- part of the Ten Commandments? That's correct. He's saying that God said it. He's verifying that the Ten Commandments are from God. You could say, God said for every bit of Scripture. You can't say that for the tradition of washing your hands up and down and the this with the fist and everything. God said, honor your father and mother. And if you curse your father and mother, then the as I said, the word is really more uh, speak disrespectfully kind of thing, um, that you're to be put to death. Imagine that. It's the only commandment with a promise, by the way, honor your father and mother that your days may be long, you know, in the land that God gives you. I'm paraphrasing there. Um, but you say, verse 5, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father and mother with it. And thus, you nullify the word of God. You nullify the Bible. You take all the meaning out of, out of it. You make it null and void is another way of what he's saying. For the sake of your tradition, there's the proof. Um, there's a, a rabbi who wrote A man sins just as much eating with unwashed hands as he does if he lies with a prostitute. It's that much of a sin. So they're just making stuff up. So Jesus is going to quote the Old Testament to really uh, nail them here. Um, By the way, to be fair, Matthew 8, Matthew 10, so far already twice Jesus has said about himself and he is worthy of this sort of devotion, that you must put me, Jesus, not me, first, even above parents, right? Love me more than anything. He's worthy of that. Traditions, how to wash your hands, not. So he's going to quote uh, Isaiah here. Uh, Let's see, where are we? Uh, You hypocrites, verse seven, what's a hypocrite? The, if the word originally meant an actor. It was a theater term. Someone who puts on a costume and changes his voice for the character, and he's being something that he's not really. But in a theater setting, you understand that. You know, he's playing the part of the mayor with a British accent. It's okay. Hypocrite came to mean somebody in life who's pretending to be one thing. I'm so holy for God. I'm a Pharisee. I love the word of God. I meditate on the word, and they're just lip service for God. Watch. Isaiah was right, I'm in the middle of verse 7, when he prophesied about you, verse 8. These people, talking about the Jews, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. If all we need is human rules, then who needs the Bible and who needs God and who needs Moses and all that other stuff? Man has always wanted to self-govern and make his own rules. The interesting thing about the Jews is they didn't do what most of society does. They make their own rules and they lower the morality standard nice and low so that they don't have to worry about it. The Jews elevated it, but not according to what God wanted, according to all these man made rules that they could feel like they had control over people for all these little things that they were doing. So he's quoting Isaiah 29 13. You honor me with your lips, with what you say, right? But your heart is far from me. You know, don't you, that it's possible to have somebody say something and not mean it, right? That's commonly called a lie. These people are honoring God with their lips. We love you, but they're not obeying the word. They don't even care about the word like they care about their traditions. So they're saying one thing, doing another. Man-made traditions are external. God's truth is internal, and it has to go to the heart. In this Bible study, we mention very often that the Jew thought of two body parts in terms of things that we think of two different ones. Let me show you. The heart and the gut. A man would say to a woman, I know this sounds weird, I love you with all my gut, with all my intestines. Not that romantic, is it? Thanks. I heard you burp earlier, so I guess that means you like me. We say, I love you with all my heart heart seat of the emotion in Western culture. For a Jew, the heart is like what you and I would think of as the mind, the center of the will. The, it is the emotions, but it's the will and knowledge. And so God says, don't just say it. I want to get into your heart, into your mind, into your will, into your very soul, your being with my laws, which are all good for you. So he calls them hypocrites. And then he applies Isaiah 29 to them, honoring him, honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The irony of this is they're in Gentile country, about to head further into Gentile country. So they're literally far from the promised land. He's saying, you guys are far from God, much further than you think you are. Um, they worship me in vain. Do you see that in verse 9? the idea of going through all the motions and all the rites and the traditions and the um, washings and all that stuff, but they don't love God. They're not really worshiping him. Their teachings are merely traditions, human rules, rituals. So God wants the real, not faking, not acting, um, The last four words of Isaiah 29, 13, you don't need to turn there, but it it is the key to the failure of any religion. The last four words are the precepts of men, the rules of men, the traditions of men. Every single thing that you and I believe about God, Jesus, Bible, salvation, Holy Spirit, sin, repentance, whatever it may be, resurrection, if you and I can't back it up with scripture, we have to throw it away. Then it must be a man-made tradition. Okay, so I want to talk about um, the Protestant Reformation. How many have heard of that and know what that is? Okay, Martin Luther was, a, uh, was basically a Catholic priest, but unlike most of the Catholic priests, he was diving in to the Bible, the scriptures. Um, May I see your hands? How many of you went to Catholic Church at some point in your life? Okay, a lot, including me. Um, Catholic Church teaches the New Testament, the scriptures, and sometimes the Old Testament. But there are traditions in the Catholic Church that Martin Luther discovered, wait a minute, That's not in the Bible. I can't find it anywhere. Neither is that, neither is that, neither is that, neither is that. So he came up with the five solas, S-O-L-A. How many have heard of the five solas before? Sola, like solo, in Spanish, solamente means only. So sola, the five solas mean only something. And there's five of them. Quickly, I'll go through them with you. This is the Protestant Reformation, where they differed from and had to divide from the Catholics. Number one, sola scriptura. Who can tell me what that means? Scripture. Only what I said earlier, only scripture. If what you believe, I don't care how much you believe it, if you can't prove it using this book, you got to throw it out. Well, we prayed to Mary. Sola Scriptura. There are no prayers to Mary. Nobody prays to Mary in the New Testament. We believe Mary is co-redeemer with Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible. Got to throw it out. We believe that priests, the heads of churches, elders, if you will, can't marry. First requirement for the elder of a church teacher is what? Husband of one wife? They have to be married. Martin Luther started making a list going, oh my word, we believe so many things that aren't scriptural. I'm just giving you an overview. Um, You must confess your sins to a priest who you address as father. The Bible says, in a religious sense, call no man father. Just a few examples. Five solas. These are going to be on the test I'm just kidding. Number one, sola scriptura, only scripture. Number two, by the way, it works both ways. What do you mean? I mean, if you believe something and you can't find it in here, you got to throw it away. But on the other hand, if you don't believe something and it is in here, guess what? You're supposed to believe it. Sola scriptura. Number two, sola solas. Christus. Anybody guess? Christ. Salvation comes only through Christ. What do you mean? What are you excluding? My own works. I'm earning my way to heaven. God's going to owe me for being such a holy dude. Wrong. Only Christ. Not Mary, not the Pope, not him, not her, not me. Sola scriptura, sola Christus, Christ alone. Number three, this is um, Latin, I believe. Sola fide, F I D E. Do you know what the word fidelity means? Sola fide means faith alone. How is one saved? Through the scriptures, that's where we learn. Only through Christ and only through faith, not works. Not faith plus works. Faith. Now, it's true that real faith does produce a changed life, good works, both abstaining from sin I used to commit and also doing good things that I never would have thought I'm doing. Here I am doing them. Sola Scriptura, sola Christus, only scripture, only Christ, sola fide, only faith, sola gratia, only by grace. Meaning what? You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's an undeserved good, free gift of God salvation. And the last one, solo, soli, deo gloria for the glory of God. Who gets the glory? God alone, not the Pope, not the priest, not me, not you. Look what a good guy I am. I used to be an alcoholic, now I'm free from alcohol and drugs. And aren't I great? No, sola all God's glory. So s- scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. That's why the Protestants broke off from the Catholics. Um, let's see, what else? All right, now we're moving on, uh, but I've still got notes, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, yeah, very important to examine what you believe and be able to know what you believe and why you believe it, because it's right here in Romans, it's right here in Ephesians, it's right here in Matthew kind of thing. The study of the Bible is so important. At least at my Catholic churches that I went to, plural, till I was 18, we were spoon-fed Spiritual stuff in catechism and in very short little homilies called mini sermons in church. What do you mean? I mean, shockingly, I was 17. My brother was 21, going to Santa Clara University, came home like second day of the s- semester or the quarter, whatever it was, with his books, psychology major, but he had to take some theology because he was at a Catholic university. He throws him on the bed, and I go, Is this? the Bible? And he goes, yeah, it's a textbook for one of the classes I'm taking. My, we, didn't, we never missed church on Sunday, ever. If we went to Hawaii, my mother would get the phone book out, and there's a Catholic church on 11th Street. We're going, come on, mom, we're on vacation. We, we didn't even own a Bible. I said, can I borrow this? He goes, yeah, give it back. I need it. You know, I got to study. And I opened to Genesis 1.1 and was like, wow, this is incredible. In the beginning was the word uh, uh, god created the heavens and the earth I started reading and why don't we have one of these in any case sola scriptura that will get rid of all the traditions you and i or anybody else might have um so uh the bible he, he talks about god wants our hearts not our lip service right if you take a conglomeration of scripture where it mentions the heart. Here are some of them. Listen. We believe in the heart, Romans 10. We love from the heart. We sing from the heart. We obey from the heart. We give from the heart. No wonder David prays, you remember this, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Doesn't mean the muscle pumping blood in your body. He means the center of your will, your mind, emotions, the center of the real you. Yeah, we already talked about that. Um, So don't be afraid if you hear me or any pastor anywhere say something and you think, where is that in the Bible? Don't be afraid to ask. Could you back what you said up with scripture, please? But be careful because cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are experts at twisting scripture pulling scriptures out of context and putting things together, right? What do you mean out of context? What's being said in that passage before and after? That will tell you the meaning more than just grabbing one verse out of nowhere. The commonly used example, I'll give you two scriptures that I'll put together as advice to you. Okay, you ready? And this is not biblical, obviously, but it's totally scriptural. I'm just pulling them out of context. Scripture number one, And Judas went and hanged himself. Is that in the Bible? Okay, here's another scripture. Go thou and do likewise. (laughs) Wait a minute. Hey, I'm just using the Bible. No, no, that's scripture twisting, changing the word. Okay, go back to Matthew 15 with me. Uh, So he tells in front of his disciples who are shocked by this, tells these Pharisees and scribes, very important people in this little group from Jerusalem, these people honor me with their lips, their hearts are far from me, they worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. Here it comes. Jesus, verse 10, called the crowd to him. Maybe the Pharisees are still listening, but he calls the crowd now to them and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Okay, so what's he talking about here? A lot of the Jewish man-made rules were taking the kosher uh, dietary restrictions of Judaism to an extreme, okay? In the Old Testament, God did tell the Jews, for example, don't eat any pork pork. Products: No bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwiches, no pork chops, um, no ham sandwich, no honey-baked ham sandwiches uh, with that nice slicing, right? Um, let's see. Further on in the New Testament and in this passage in Mark, Jesus declares all foods clean. So you have to ask, now wait a minute, doesn't that contradict the Old Testament. Jesus is saying in a broad way, listen, the the accusation of the Pharisees was, you guys don't wash properly with all the little doodads we threw in there. Therefore, you are unclean, defiled. Think of the word polluted. In other words, they're saying that's a sin. He Jesus, who is God himself in human flesh, is saying, no, it's not. Even if you eat with unclean hands, that's not defiling you, because that food, go, that piece of bread goes into your body, is digested and eliminated, right? That's what he's saying in verse whatever that was, 10. 10. 11, sorry. What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. What comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Before we move on, I have to explain, because you must be thinking, well, then why did God make all those rules that you can't eat shellfish, and you can't eat rabbit, and you can't eat um, all those pork products? They couldn't even eat a dairy product, cheese, with a meat product, hamburger. What do you mean? Cheeseburger, it's a sin, Old Testament. Jesus is throwing out all of that ceremonial law here. I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures that prove it, but the question must arise, well then didn't God say to do that? Yes, for a time, for a while. Why? Answer, number one, he wanted the Jews to be a particular people that interbred only a Jew should marry another Jew, a Jew should marry a female Jew, etc., <clears throat> and not intermarry with the other people. Part of his way of doing that is to make them so different with what they ate that when the girl I bring home that's not a Jew says, look, I brought a ham sandwich, then I would have to say, oh, I can't eat that. And she would see herself as being on the outside. It kept the Jews sort of together. Did they intermarry? Yes. They're sinners like you and me. But part of it was just to keep them together as one particular people. Number two, all of those Old Testament rules and regulations that we no longer practice, most of them were pictures of in one way or another, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice a lamb on Passover. New Testament, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Without the shedding of blood of an animal, there's no forgiveness or remission for sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood is shed, for example. Okay, so they are saying you are uh, defiled, you are sinning, by doing that stuff jesus says in verse 11 nothing you can eat will defile you there's no food you can eat that's a sin in and of itself but what comes out of the mouth see the end of verse 11 that's what defiles them you say what what do you mean comes out of the mouth words what sort of things could come out of your mouth that would be a sin a lie right thou shalt not bear false witness Um, you could slander somebody, gossip about somebody. You could blaspheme with your mouth and worship some other God or say, God isn't really God. I don't believe in God. Blasphemy. So he's saying, because the words, by the way, that come out, that comes from the heart. In other words, what he's saying is the heart is what matters. And food bypasses, never touches the heart. Comes in, goes out. Words come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what he's getting at there. Um, so uh, it comes from an unregenerate heart. All sin does. In fact, he, in other places in Matthew, what he says is that all sin starts in here, in here. No one Murder never starts with a gun, a knife, an axe, ever. It never starts with that. It ends with that. It starts with hatred, jealousy, anger, whatever the case may be. That's all internal. And it builds and it builds and it builds. Adultery never starts with somebody taking their clothes off. It starts with lust of the eyes and churning the idea around in your head, looking at pornography or whatever it may be. Every sin starts from within. He's old Testament says the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? He's saying religion is supposed to deal with the heart. Don't worry about all these food things and what have you. Okay. Are we still good on time? Um, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, Keep your finger here and go to one book to the right. Go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We won't be here long. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we want... So look at verse 14. Listen to me and everyone and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. It's a parallel passage, almost the same. Right? Then he goes into the house and they want to know what did you mean by that, the disciples? Look at verse 18. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? Verse 19. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Old covenant can't have a ham sandwich or shellfish. New covenant the food doesn't matter because we're no longer breeding to make the Messiah. We've had the Messiah. All generations, all races can all be a part of God's kingdom, if you will. Now go to Acts chapter 10. We're not going to read a lot here, but I just want to show you real quick. Acts chapter 10. Peter is a devout Jewish man, right? They are taught. There's certain foods that are clean, certain foods that aren't. Jesus said it. He heard him, but man, he was raised this way for 30, 40, however many years old he was. It's hard. Old habits die slowly, right? So Acts chapter 10, um, let's see, verse 9. About noon the following day, Peter goes up on the roof to pray, became hungry, wanted something to eat, falls into a trance. This is a God-given trance. It's not a nap. It's not drug-induced. It's a God-induced trance. He saw heaven, verse 11, open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It had all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles. No way could a Jew eat a reptile. How many have had a lizard sandwich? Can I see your hands? Okay. Uh, And birds of the air. Then a voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, verse 14. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. He still doesn't get it. The voice said, don't call anything impure that God's made clean. Look at verse 16. It happened three times. Let's start it all over. He still doesn't get it. Run that tape again. Bring the sheet down with the animals. This time put some frogs in there too. And finally, he gets it. What's the point, Joe? Just that they can eat anything? That, but what's going to happen in the book of Acts is Peter's going to go witness to a Gentile. He can't believe he's going to do it and he doesn't the guy comes to faith in christ later in peter's life he still falls back to his own own ways he's with a bunch of gentile christians some very re- legalistic jews come into town and he shuns the gentile believers for a little while till paul face to face confronts him and says hey we're all one in christ galatians 3 28 uh, it's either 28 or 29 i always forget says At the foot of the cross in Christianity, there's neither, listen to this, Jew nor Greek, that's race, slave nor free, that's social status, male or female, that's gender. Notice there's only two genders, male, female. No gender distinction. We're all one at the foot of the cross in Christ. So, uh, let's see hmm One little asterisk with what I'm saying here, if I may. This does not mean that there's, you can put anything in your body because heroin isn't good for you. And whiskey, if you drink a whole bottle is going to get you drunk and then you'll be defiled, right? talking more about foods, but there are substances that for a lot of different reasons, how about cigarettes? It's not good for you. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You get the picture there. Um, Let's see. Uh, We got a few minutes. So I I love verse uh, 12. Then the disciples came to him privately, by the way, and asked him, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I find this verse humorous. Hey Jesus, um you're not that good at social stuff. And uh, are you aware that you really offended them? As if he's gonna go, oh, I'm so sorry. Are they still here? I'd like to apologize. Does he care? He wanted to offend them, didn't he? But not to be offensive, to offend them with the truth, right? Do you know that you the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Listen to Jesus's answer it's interesting and I'm going to ask you what's the plant Verse 13 He replied Every plant that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots Leave them they are blind guides if the blind lead the blind both will fall into a pit What's the plant First of all notice that there what did you say Weeds. Okay. But is he talking about, I'll give you a multiple choice. Is it a, the traditions of men, all these man-made rules, or is he talking about the false religious leaders? Either way, it fits because God didn't plant those traditions. Men did. If it's the Pharisees, God did not choose them to be Pharisees Representing him in Judaism because they're hypocrites. You see what I mean? So he says in the next verse, Leave them. And the idea is, Leave them be. I'll deal with them in due time. They are blind guides. Now that sounds like it's more the Pharisees themselves than it is the traditions of men, but it fits both contexts here. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Pit is a word used in the New Testament for hell. Imagine the blind leading the blind, right? They're going to crash into a wall, fall into a pit. It's not going to work out. A blind guide is a contradiction of terms. you got to be able to see, and you got to know what you know to be able to teach it, if you will. Okay, so he calls them blind guides, and he says, every plant that my father hasn't planted is going to be pulled up by the roots. Ultimately, that happens on judgment day, right? End of the world, return of Christ. However, within one generation, 40 years, within 40 years of when he says this, every Pharisee was plucked up by the roots. The Romans invaded Jerusalem, sacked the city, burned the temple to the ground, and the gold that was stuck in it, they decided to get out, so they removed every stone one at a time, which Jesus predicts in Matthew 24. There hasn't been a Pharisee, or a Sadducee, or a scribe in the literal sense, because they don't have a temple, ever since, almost 2,000 years, 70 AD. God plucked them up. Ultimately, though, he's talking about Judgment Day. Uh, So, he's saying, ignore them, leave them alone. It's like the weeds that, that Ken said, the weeds being planted, leave them there till the harvest. Um, Hosea 4.17 says, Ephraim has joined with idols, let him alone. Same words, let him alone. They're, they're, they have an idol and it's their own power and the traditions of men instead of God. Isn't it funny that God gave us a book And people tend to change it, add to it, subtract from it. It's very interesting to me. Go to the very back of Genesis. I'm I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22. And we'll take our two-minute break because there's a lot of snacks back there. Uh, The very end of the Bible. The very end of the last book of the Bible. No coincidence. God puts something in. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Does he mean revelation? Yes. I think he means the whole book, all 66 books, the whole Bible. If anyone hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Don't add to God's word. That's what they were doing. However, verse 19, if anyone takes away words, takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Translation, it's not a smorgasbord. You can't pick, I like that. I'm not, I don't really like that. Leave it the way it is. God intended every word to be there where it is. God is not in heaven going, boy, the Bible. I should have put this and this in, and I should really have left out that whole section. It's perfect, folks. It all fits together. It's all profitable for training in righteousness, reproof, correction, all of that. Let's take our two-minute break and, and uh, say hello to someone you don't know and have a snack back there. And those of you on Zoom, hang with me. Two minutes, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're stuffing our faces here and we're glad that you're still with us. during the break, Tom, a friend of mine, brought up that the Pope of the Catholic Church uh, recently I don't know how in the last week right came out and said that the that Catholic churches and uh, priests and what have you can informally bless same sex unions, marriages, meaning two men, two women. This is a great example that it absolutely contradicts the Bible. Who cares? They don't care. In any case, um, all foods are clean. Uh, We've covered that. May I say, for health reasons, yes, especially the snacks here, but may I say that there may be reasons you don't eat certain foods because it's not good for you. Too much food isn't good for you. But all of that tradition, all of that um, ceremonial stuff the Jews had to do, Jesus fulfills the law. His yoke is easier. Okay. Um, Let's keep rolling. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay. The reason it wasn't as loud is because I understand. Okay. Every plant that God didn't plant is going to be pulled up by the roots. You are a believer. Therefore, what are you? You're a plant that God planted, right? And the other sense of this sentence, as I said, the scripture is what God planted for us uh, to feed on and learn from. Blind guides, he calls them. By the way, in chapter 23, this is like a day in the park compared to what he says to them, whitewashed tombs and Uh, on and on. Okay. So, verse 13, they're alone now. Peter says, explain the parable to us. Now, on the one hand, I appreciate Peter is honest enough to not go, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Wondering, what what does he mean? He's He's the kid in class that goes, I'm sorry, I didn't get that algebra thing. Could you go over it one more time? I appreciate Peter for that. But I want you to notice he says, explain the parable to us. There was no parable. What was the parable? Right? I mean, maybe the plant thing, but in any case, verse 16, with apologies, Jesus says, Are you still so dull? Some translations have, Are you still so dull of hearing? Can't you hear? So, he's got little faith. That He has a long way to go. We're going to find out, by the way, that faith is a relative term. Because the woman we're about to meet has tremendous faith and very little knowledge. Peter has a lot of knowledge. He's been hanging around with Jesus. He's got very little faith. More knowledge, less faith in what he knows. Okay. Are you still so dull, verse 16, Jesus asked them? Don't you see? And by the way, it says, ask them, meaning what? That the others also didn't get it, but Peter had the guts to say, could you explain it? Don't you see, verse 17, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. God's going to change men's hearts with the gospel. By the way, there's no other way to change people's hearts. The rate of success for um Programs that get people off of drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, narcotics—I'm sorry, pornography—whatever the addiction may be, the success rates are way higher when the gospel is involved, as opposed to calling it just a higher power. Kind of. You wanted to throw that in? The things that come out of a person's uh, mouth—verse eighteen come from the heart and these defile them. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. He's going to give you a partial list. Evil thoughts. Did you hear that? You can sin with your body. You can sin with what you say. You can even sin in your thoughts and nobody even hears it. I didn't say it. I thought it, but I didn't say it. still a sin which is why we can ca- call each uh, take each thought captive what do you mean when you start thinking some revengeful things some lustful things some greedy things some angry things some judgmental thing you can say recognize i don't want to think that father i want to think godly thoughts i praise you and worship you take your mind off that stuff okay what comes out of the heart come from evil thoughts. Uh, Sorry, for out of the heart come, verse 19, evil thoughts, murder. Believe me, the evil thoughts come first, then the murder, right? Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, that's fornication, theft, false testimony, slander. All that stuff doesn't start with the act, it starts here. Entertain it enough, you'll entertain it more. I'm not doing it, I'm just thinking it. It's as a man thinketh, so is he, the Bible says. Our thoughts are very important. What are we churning up? I'm just thinking about it. Okay, quick thing. Adultery, sexual immorality. Do you see that in the list? You say, isn't that kind of the same thing? The word is fornication, sexual immorality. Um, In Hebrews, i don 't ask me where uh, it says the marriage bed must be kept undefiled for listen to this adulterers and fornicators those who commit fornication, God will judge what does that mean? Adultery sex with someone who is someone else 's spouse or you 're somebody's spouse and you 're having sex with someone else okay there 's a marriage involved. got it Sex outside of the marriage of person A and person B. Fornication. Uh, here, in, in uh, sexual immorality in NIV. Fornication. Any sex outside of marriage. What do you mean? Both people are unmarried, or it's two men, or two women, or a boy and a man, or it's sexual immorality. What else? By the way, you know what the word is? Pornea. P-O-R-N, first four letters, figure it out. Pornography. In a survey, 40% of American pastors admitted struggling with pornography. Yes, I said pastors. It used to be it was hard to get. You got to go into some store and you got to show your ID and it's free on your phone, on your tablet, on your on the internet, right? TV, cable TV. In any case, all those things, theft, stealing, you don't just steal. You start thinking about it. Greedy thoughts. False testimony, lies, slander. These are what defile a person. You know why? Because all those things are defined in the Bible as what? Sin. Sin defiles, makes you impure, not having a ham sandwich. But eating with one unwashed hands does not defile them. So he just confirms that. I have to admit, starting in verse 21, really in verse 22, is a story about the Canaanite woman. Mark calls her the the Syrophoenician woman. This story has, for me, this time around, third time I've taught Matthew, blossomed like a flower. I'm so excited to talk about this story. I nerd out on these kind of things. And this is an incredible story. May I preface it by saying this? If you had a son or a grandson whose desire was to be the best quarterback in the world, would you tell him to go watch high school football? Maybe. You can learn some things. Or would you find out well, who is the best quarterback ever? Most people would say Tom Brady, some would say Joe Montana. This year, it's to, it's Brock Purdy from the 49ers, right? My point is, you wouldn't watch the guy, you wouldn't tell him, watch footage of this guy, he's horrible. You'll learn what not to do. You would say, watch and imitate what you see the greatest do. This woman is told by Jesus, remember, twice we've heard, ye of little faith. Are you so dull of hearing? This woman is a Gentile, and Jesus says she has great faith. It's the word mega. Therefore, there are at least six characteristics she's going to display that you and I need to make a note of if you want to have great faith. Got it? Oh, look, we're out of time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's dive in leaving that place 21 Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon okay what's going on there Jesus is hasn't had another confrontation with the Pharisees and he hasn't done this much but he's going into across the border leaving Israel going into Tyre and Sidon total gentile territory Got the picture? Gentile being a non-Jew, that's what a Gentile is. So um, he's going there. We learn from Mark to get away, okay? Mark says in this parallel passage that he goes into a house and he didn't want anyone to know he was there. I just need to get away and have a little retreat with my Disciples to teach them. They're about to take over the ministry in a year or two. I just need to get away. But several places in the New Testament before this, people came from Tyre and Sidon into Israel because they had heard about Jesus. What's your point? He's, he's not unknown there, right? He's really famous even there, and he hasn't been there they, the people, have talked about him. Some of them have had healings. He's about to meet a Gentile woman from that area. Um, Okay, so let's tell the story, and I'm going to give you the punchline first, okay? And I want you to watch for these words, and we'll talk about them as we go. Here they come. This woman will show you that great faith, which is what you want, folks. Great faith is, number one, Properly targeted. It is number two, compassionate. Number three, repentant. Number four, reverent. She worships. Number five, persistent. She doesn't give up. Number six, humble. Great faith is properly targeted, compassionate, repentant, reverent, persistent. And humble that's going to be on the test. OK. Uh, so Jesus is putting his money where his mouth is. What do you mean? He just said, "There's no such thing as unclean food. In Acts, he's going to show there's no such thing as unclean people. Gentiles, Jews, doesn't matter. He's the savior, listen, of the world. He's the Jewish savior. He's sent to Israel primarily, but he's the savior of the world but for this part of his ministry, he is focused on Israel. That's important. That'll come back in a second, but he's going to show that there's no unclean people, but as a great teacher, he's going to do it in a very unusual way. One warning I want to give you, there are books written There's actually a book written called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Anybody seen that book before? It's certain parts of the New Testament that you go, why did he say that? This is always in those books. What's going to happen in the story? I want to warn you, it's a little shocking, but for a reason. We'll discuss it. Okay, verse 22. A Canaanite woman From that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. From the tense of the verb and the rest of the story, we know she didn't say this once. She said it 500 times to where she was driving the disciples crazy. Okay? Number one, Canaanite woman. What's that? The Canaanites were living in the land of Israel before the Jews got there. You might be surprised to learn. Talking back in the Abraham times. Got the picture? God eventually tells the Jews, this is the land. I'm giving it to you, the Jews, Israel, not Hamas. Anyway, and... Believe it or not, I want you to wipe out the Canaanites because they are pagans, they are vile, they do child sacrifice, they do abominable things, they have idols, it's going to pollute your land, get rid of them. Well, did they? Obviously not because it's centuries later and there's still Canaanite women. Because the Jews didn't obey that fully, there's still some Canaanite women and people. The other name for her to give you a geographic picture in your mind is Syrophoenician in the book of Mark. Same thing. Why? Because where he's going is Syria and Lebanon. Eat right there, that those two countries. Okay. Um, let's see. The Canaanites generally hated the Jews. And the Jews weren't very fond of the Canaanites either. Uh So the first thing to notice is she's got a problem and she's a Canaanite woman and she comes to, what does it say? Him. Didn't come to Peter, didn't pray to the Virgin Mary. They had, I think it's Estarte, was their pagan god. She doesn't go to Estarte. Maybe she did and it didn't work out praying to a dumb stone idol somewhere. Her faith is, great faith is properly focused, targeted to who? Christ. To do that, you have to know who and what Christ is. I'm gonna show you, she knows who Jesus is, maybe more than some of the disciples. So the first thing is, you go to Jesus. Some people like to say, I just have faith. To which the answer, the question should be, faith in what? who? I just believe. I believe in faith. I believe in that there's a higher power, right? Nameless. Faith is only as good. Listen, if you remember nothing else I say tonight, remember this. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. The analogy I always give is you get up in the middle of the night with a splitting headache, and without turning the light on, you go into a cabinet, and you're feeling around, and you you find a bottle with pills in it, and you open it up, and you're sure that it's Tylenol or Advil, and because your headache's bad, you take four with a glass of water, and, but you have all the faith in the world that it's Tylenol, but it's actually your son moved the rat poison from the rat container uh, and put it in that, that, um, little bottle in the cabinet. Yes, but I have faith that it's Tylenol. It doesn't matter, it's not. I have faith that Allah is the true God and and Muhammad is his prophet. You can have really strong faith and it's not true. You can have faith in a totem pole or that this rock is part of Mother Earth and we can worship the trees and hug the trees and faith is only as good as the object in whom it's placed. I have faith in Buddha. I have faith in myself. I have faith in humanity. I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been shown again and again and again, not only in the word and in history, but in my own life, that he's the real deal. Okay, so she, her faith is well targeted, isn't it? Let's keep rolling. Next thing, she comes to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon possessed and suffering terribly. She calls him Lord Terios. Now that word can mean, in some settings, sir, s i r, a, a way of respect of greeting someone. Senor in Spanish, senor means sir, but they say Spanish peop, Spanish-speaking people, Spanish speaking people, senor el Senor Cristo, the Lord, and then it means Lord because it's religious. You with me? she calls him Lord. How do I know she means that he's God? Because she's asking him to do what no man can do. My daughter's demon-possessed. Can you help me? Lord, she calls him God. Do you see that? She calls him son of David. That goes back to uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, where the son of man is brought before God the Father, and given a kingdom and a dominion that goes on forever, and he receives worship. She understands theology pretty well for a non-Jew. Her faith is well-placed. She comes to him uh, crying out, Lord, Son of David, next thing, have mercy on me. You know what the opposite of that would be? I want you to do something for me cuz i deserve it i'm a good person give me what i deserve have mercy it's just the opposite she comes very what repentant she comes reverently calling him lord she's going to worship before we're done with the story but she says to him have mercy on me quick lesson grace mercy you see, hear christians talk about those two things what what are they talking about grace good things God gives you that you don't deserve and you can't earn. Grace. Grace is the opposite of wages, which you do deserve and you did earn, now pay me. I painted your garage, pay me the 10 grand we talked about, right? I earned it. If you painted somebody's garage and had agreed to get 10 grand for doing it and they pay you, that's not grace, that's wages. However, if you came and knocked on the garage door and said, my family is broke and we're starving, and uh, the Pascucci's here gave you food and $500 to help you through the month, that's grace. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Got the picture? Grace. Good things God gives you you don't deserve. You can't earn it, and God doesn't owe it to you. Mercy. Close cousin of grace. There's some grace in mercy. Mercy's different. Mercy is bad stuff. You do deserve punishment that God withholds in his love and his grace. Do you see the difference? I'm the judge, and you say, yes, Your Honor, I was going 149 miles an hour on Highway 41, but I was in a hurry to see my wife, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, you're guilty, and you deserve a fine and a one-year suspension with your driver's license. But I'm in a good mood in mercy, I'm gonna cut it down to a $100 fine. Now get out of here, you knucklehead. The point is mercy is bad things you do deserve. She comes repentant. She knows in mercy, please help me. Sidebar, I I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this. Her child is demon-possessed. This doesn't happen very much unless one of the parents maybe her, was involved in dark occultic practices that invited a demon in. Conjecture, I don't know, but a child that's demon-possessed. Remember, demons just can't enter just anybody. The person has to open the door through uh, seances and and, uh, all kinds of occultic practices, past life regression, and deep meditation where you empty your mind, and You end up opening the door to the occult. Ouija boards, fortune tellers, we could go on and on. Who knows? But her daughter's demon possessed, and this woman is desperate. Okay. I want you to notice true faith is also compassionate. Is she coming for herself? Here's what I want. My daughter. She's thinking about somebody else. And that's so on her mind, she will not let it go. She knows she's a sinner. She asks for mercy. She knows, son of David, that he is uh, the Messiah. That's the Messiah title. Um, We already talked about that. Okay, so now here's where it gets kind of weird, I have to admit. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, good one. Okay, so that's the problem. There's a demon-possessed child. Verse 23, you got to admit, you're surprised. So am I. Jesus did not answer a word. How long did this go on? I don't know. All day? 10 minutes? But he doesn't even answer her. Why? Cold-hearted Jesus? Get lost? I'm on break now. I'm on vacation. Or is he trying to do something? He's trying to teach her and the apostles and you. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples, who should have taken his lead and not answered a word either, came to him and urged him, Send her away. Get rid of this past, Lord, for she keeps crying out after us. By the way, send her away. Sometimes in the Bible, doesn't mean just get, get rid of her. It means just answer her request. We've seen you cast out demons. Just do it so we can get rid of her. Either way, they don't have much patience. Who's got more patience? The woman or the apostles? The woman, a Gentile, right? Because he's not answering, you would think some people would say, oh, well, he's just giving her the silent treatment. The sounds of silence. So they say, get get rid of her. She keeps crying out after us. That implies this has been going on for hours. Verse 24. Now he's going to answer her. At this point, by the way, if he had said, get lost, lady, maybe she would have. I don't know, though. Judging by this woman's tenacity, her her perseverance, I don't think that would have done it. I'm here for my daughter. I'm not leaving. Verse 24, even more strange. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Was he? Yes, initially. And he's still, what he's saying is, all foods are clean. The Gentiles are going to be in. There's many Old Testament passages, um, Ezekiel and others, that uh, Jeremiah, that talk about the fact that the Messiah is going to come and the Gentiles will see a great light. The Gentiles are going to be brought in to the kingdom of God. But he says to her, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I know you're a Gentile. I'm in Gentile country right now. I'm sent to certain people and you're not one of them. Wow, does that surprise you? It's almost like somebody comes in this church and says, I have a great need, and we say, oh, you're not a member, get lost. Wow, we wouldn't do that here, by the way. What's going on? So she hears, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Possible responses she may have considered, how dare you, you jerk. I've got a real need here. This goes beyond Israel versus Gentile. Look at her response. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, she drops the son of David. Did you notice that? Lord, universally, God, help me. Reminds me of Peter sinking in the water. Do you remember? Lord, save me. Right? I'm going down. Lord, help me. Okay. She came and knelt before him. That's proskeneo. That's the word for she worshiped him. I want you to notice she's undeterred by the comments. She's undeterred by the silence. She's undeterred. She heard the apostles saying, get rid of her Lord, please. Nagging, nagging, nagging. Undeterred. And instead of being angry, she comes reverently, she comes worshiping. Did you see that? Great faith is worshipful, it's also persistent. Have you prayed for something and you're still waiting? What's wrong with you? Just move on. Nothing's wrong with you. Keep praying. The waiting, which is the hardest part, ask her, ask me. I have things I'm still praying for. Been years for some. The waiting, listen, is a faith gymnasium. It's where our faith grows. He, Jesus, is testing her. Like a good teacher, he's withholding the answer to see if she can figure it out and answer correctly. So she It's amazing that she comes and kneels before him. That could mean laying face down in front of him. Lord, help me, she said. Now you're expecting verse 26 to say, so he said, okay. It gets worse. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Ouch. Who are you calling a dog? She doesn't say that, does she? Jews called the Gentiles dogs. There's two words for dogs in Greek. One, most dogs were wild, diseased, vicious, cruel. Animals that ran in packs, hung out at dumps, would eat a dead human body if they found one, gross. Don't mean to, you just had snacks back there. The other word for dogs is um, pet dogs, lap dogs. Okay. He uses that word. In Mark, he says it this way, that they should, that the dog should never be fed before the kids are in the family. Keep in mind, there's no Ralston Purina. There's no dog food in that culture. You know what dogs ate? Leftovers. We finished, there's a couple scraps of, of, put it together with that stuff and put it in her bowl, the dog's bowl. His silence is actually an encouragement because he doesn't say what they say, get rid of her, you know, get lost kind of thing. The pattern in the Bible is always that the gospel, the truth is given first to the, Jew, to the Jew and then to the Gentile. When Paul goes to foreign cities, he goes first to the synagogue, preaches Jesus there, usually gets kicked out and goes to the Gentiles and talks to the rest of the people in the city. That's the pattern. Great worship, great faith, I'm sorry, great faith is worshipful, calls him Lord. It's persistent. Notice that she has very limited knowledge compared to the Pharisees who have no faith in him. She has less faith, less knowledge than the disciples who saw him walk on water, heal a million times, and yet she's got more faith than they do. Watch. So he says, not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Verse seven, she says, Yes, Lord. That's how it reads in Greek. Yes. She doesn't read the Bible, and I disagree with that. I don't like that. She says, You know what? You said it. I believe it. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She says, I don't disagree that my priority being a Jew, a non-Jew is at a lower level than these Jews that you're here sent to minister to. I don't disagree, you're right, but the dogs do, the puppies, and she uses the word, he uses the word for pet dogs. She uses a slight change in that word Greek, and it means the pet puppy dogs, even more needy, even more needy of being fed by hand. She says, even the dogs, eat, the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Like I told you, in Greek, it's mega, mega faith. The disciples must have went, wow, never said that to me. Oh, ye of little faith. You have mega faith your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is a long distance miracle. He doesn't incant anything. He just says, your request is granted. And somewhere, maybe 10 miles away in her little house, the demon left that little girl. And the people that were with her went, at 2.30, she changed completely, or whatever time it was that he said that. And she knew when she went back home. It took faith for her to leave there and go, don't you want to come with me and touch her and say anything and holy water and some oil and a rosary maybe or something? Just go. She's healed. Why? Because of her faith. Why didn't he just do this at the beginning? Wanted to draw out of her all those characteristics, both for her benefit, but the watching disciples get an unbelievable lesson on faith. That real faith is all of those uh characteristics. It's reverent, it's persistent, it's compassionate, it's properly targeted, it's persistent, humble, and yeah, uh, did I already say reverent? I did. Worshipful. She gets an A in the faith final, doesn't she? Presumably ends up believing in the Lord Jesus when she hears of his death and resurrection. We don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um. She doesn't say, give me what I deserve. She just keeps praying. If you're praying and so far you're getting silence, it does not mean, don't interpret it as God doesn't care. God doesn't know. Does Jesus know from the beginning he's going to perform a miracle here? He knows everything. Does he know she's going to show up? Yes. Does he know her heart already? Yes. Do the disciples? No. But, he purposely lets it play out this way so that her humble submission, her confidence in his will, yes, Lord, and her worship will be a lesson these guys never forget. They don't learn it from the Pharisees. They learn it from a pagan woman. Pretty amazing. Uh, her faith is properly focused. We already talked about that. Um hmm we already talked about that. I want you to notice that he willed the demon out. Didn't even say, in the name of, I, he just said, go home, it's done. I would argue that he healed that child of the demon with a thought. That's it, from him, that's all it took. She had great tests and we're out of time, so I gotta be quick. She had a demon-possessed child, she had no hope. She's a woman in that culture, lower status. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. Jesus was silent. The disciples said, get rid of her. He says he sent only to Israel, but she persists with strong, unwavering faith despite all the obstacles. Do you and I do the same thing in our trials and tribulations? All the obstacles did was made her persist in prayer. Other people in the gospels overcome obstacles. The paralytic man can't get to Jesus. He's got friends that take him and open up a hole in the roof and drop him down to Jesus. Bartimaeus, uh, there's so many. I, I don't have time to go into all the examples. Anyway, Jesus knew all along. One last thing. In the rest of the New Testament, for this trip, there's no record he did anything else here in Tyre and Sidon. He came all that way, 50 miles for one divine appointment with one woman with a demon-possessed child. Awesome. Who's the most compassionate in the story? Christ. Okay, let's close here. We're going to pick it up in two or three weeks when we meet again. Um, Thank you for being here and studying the Bible every week with us and and on Zoom. We uh, just love to be able to do this, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this woman's faith. May we learn from it, all of the characteristics, may we review them, God, and be that persistent and that reverent and that worshipful and that uh, compassionate. May we display that sort of faith because we do have the knowledge, God, that you are Lord of all and that Jesus answers prayer. Thank you for this story. Thank you that We are grafted in as Gentiles and are in the family of God and call you father and you call us your daughters and sons. How awesome. Use us for your glory. And as we celebrate the birth of your son, even if it wasn't really in December, probably who cares? We love Jesus and we're so thrilled for the greatest gift that was ever given. Bless our Christmas and the rest of our time in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray all these things. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Very important. And God bless all of you on Zoom. Have a great uh, and a blessed Christmas. Bye-bye.